the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, we're about to see that the third generation after Moses has wandered so far from God that there are towns in Israel as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 19, verse 22. Once again, that's Judges chapter 19, verse 22. Judges 19. Judges 19, verse 22. Well, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, they beset the house around about, and they beat at the door and spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, bring forth the man that came into your house that we may know him. Now, this is very similar to the incident in Sodom with Lot and the two angels who were his guests, where the people of Sodom surrounded the guy's house, banged on the door, demanded that he send out Lot so they could rape him. And so this is a similar situation. The difference is, this isn't Sodom. This is an Israeli city. This is God's people. We read in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. After Joshua dies, it says, Also that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And thus, three generations later, we have another lot on our hands. We have seemingly good people, a Levite who has some principles. We have this old guy who's got some principles. They're vexed by the evil around them, but they refuse to come all the way to the right solution. Their lives are compromised. And so verse 23, we see this man's pitiful attempt to get them to leave, horrible offer to get them to leave. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray, please do not so wickedly. And he pauses, but they don't relent. Seeing that this man has come into my house, don't this follow. He appeals to them morally first. Don't do wickedly. Then he appeals to them socially. He's my guest. This is horrible. You're going to bring shame upon me. And when they don't listen to that, he appeals to their flesh. Behold, here's my daughter, a maiden, and he's got a concubine. Them will I bring out now and you can humble them. The word here for humble means to rape. It's the same word that was used when Delilah afflicted Samson. You can have your way with them. Do with them what seems good unto you. 
But unto this man do not so vile a thing. Now, we'll see in a moment that this old man had no intention of giving his daughter to them. He hoped to shock them into seeing their evil request by showing how desperate he was. But it doesn't work. In verse 25, but the men would not hearken to him. When they call his bluff, it says the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them. The man there refers to the Levite. So the man took his concubine. His concubine. At some point, when they call his bluff, the old man goes inside to tell the Levite of the situation. And the Levite sends his concubine out to the rapists. The word they're brought actually means he caused to go out. He didn't even go outside. He sent her out. And I realize the next section is a very difficult read. So I'm not going to explain it. I'm just going to read it. And they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. And then came the woman in the dawning of the day, and she collapsed. She fell down at the front door of the man's house where her Lord was till it was light. Rape is a despicable, violent, evil thing. Using people for sexual pleasure is rampant in modern entertainment. Rape now is a common topic, common event that occurs in TV shows, books, novels, movies. Is it any wonder rape is rampant among the elite in our society, in entertainment, media, and politics? Is it any wonder it's still so prevalent throughout our society, even though we have so much media coverage and education on it? Why doesn't it go away? It's not that we ignore these things in society, but if we look to these means alone, either education, awareness, or activism alone, if we look to these means, those means alone as a solution, it's like trying to drive a car without a battery in it. You're not going to get anywhere no matter how much around you externally changes. And that's why we're in the mess that we're still in, even though we had an amazing civil rights movement in the 60s. Only a heart that owns Jesus as king and his word as its standard can be healed from self-indulgence. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, we can change the laws, but only God can change men's hearts. Only a change of heart will really fix the situation. Now, it is very difficult for me to read these verses and not weep. This is not a story. This is not fake news. It's not a Facebook post you can ignore because you don't agree with its stance. This is a real woman who endured eight to ten hours of sexual abuse at the hands of brutal men. This scripture should break our hearts. It should make us angry at sin. It should make us swear that we will look at people differently, not as objects to be used, but as image bearers with dignity. It should instill us inside of us the absolute necessity to make God our king and his word our standard. So we never take the first step to viewing a person as something to be used for my personal pleasure. 
Now, I know some of you out there listening here, you may have experienced similar horrors. And I say to you, I'm so sorry for the evil that was done to you or the evil that was done to those you love. I can't even imagine how painful a chapter like this would be to study. But please know this. If you've gone through a horror like this, or you know someone who has, know that God loves you. And know that he wept every moment those horrors were perpetrated on you. Now, some of you may be wondering, why would God let something so evil happen? Now, to stop this event, God would have had to have stopped everything. And that means everyone would perish, even this concubine, because all have sinned and incurred God's wrath. When we say such a thing, why didn't God stop that? Inherent in the question is, I'm righteous. I deserve better. I'm not like everyone else. God should have stopped it for me. And that is a problem. God does not want anyone to perish. And so he waits. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it talks about the end. But before it talks about the end, when God will judge all sin, when he will right every wrong, it says the Lord is not slack. He's not lazy. He's not sinful. He's not not doing anything. He's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to perish, and so he waits, and he weeps. In John eleven thirty-five, we have the famous verse, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in just a few moments. Why weep? Because he saw everyone else weeping. He saw the pain they were experiencing and it broke his heart. Know this. He does wait. He doesn't judge every sin right now. And while these horrible things are perpetrated, he weeps. He weeps. Someday, he will put an end to all of it. For the very next verse in Second Peter 3 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works therein that are therein shall be burned up. He will put an end to all of it. And then there will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. And there will be no more evil. The book of Revelation, chapter 21, toward the very end, it says this in verses 3 through 8. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Right now, we don't want him here. But then it will be with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Right now, we don't see it as his people. It's why horrible things happen. We're under the care of another, one who does not love us, one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy and lavishes in every moment of it. But they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. 
He'll protect them. It says he'll wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, write that down. We need to know this. For these words are true and faithful. It will happen. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to him that is a thirst of the fountain, the water of life freely. And he that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, they shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. He will bring justice, and he will put an end to evil. This vile crime is committed, vile behavior is done to this woman. Verse 27, the Levite wakes up. And her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and he went out to go his way. Time to leave. But behold, the woman as concubine was collapsed down at the door, the entrance to the house. She never made it back in. She got close. Her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, get up, let us be going. The Levite's coldness angers me. I think it angered the writer here too because he calls her here her Lord. Because that's how he treated her. He treated her like a piece of property. Treated her like a slave. The Levite's coldness angers me. My mother and my father raised me to respect women, to treat them with dignity. Women are not objects. They don't exist to please men. They are image bearers. They are those that Jesus loved so much that he died for them on the cross. I still regularly turn to my wife and thank her for choosing to marry me. Because the fact that she said I do means she had the option of saying I don't. I want her to view me like the bride did with her husband in Song of Solomon 5.16. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Not my Lord. This is my friend. My beloved. He says to her, get up, time to go. But no one answered, because she was dead. And then the man took her up upon one of the donkeys. Funny, he could find a place for her to ride when she was dead, but not when she was alive. Makes a point of mentioning she walked by the side of the donkey earlier on. And the man rose up and he got him to his place. He went home, not the tabernacle where he said to the old man he was going. It's possible he was lying to the old man. It's possible he just, given the circumstances, he changed his plans. I don't know, but all I do know is what he did next. Verse 29. When he came into his house, he took a knife and he laid hold on his concubine. And he cut her up into pieces together with her bones, into 12 pieces. And he sent these gruesome packages unto all the coasts, all the different regions of Israel, basically to each of the tribes, 12 pieces. And it was so that all that saw it said that there was no such deed done nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. These gruesome packages were clearly sent to individuals with authority in each tribe. 
coming from a Levite. There was authority behind his actions. And when it was seen, the Israelites, who people in authority who saw it, they said, you know what? We've been guilty of numerous crimes since we left Egypt, but nothing, nothing so repulsive as this. So they decide something must be done. They said to one another, consider of it, take advice and speak your minds. The word there to take advice means we need to form a plan. The nation gets together to take action. And when they do in chapter 20, there is a somberness in the meeting. Speak your minds. There's a good dose of humility finally in the meeting. There's even a slight return to the Lord's leading. They go to Kim, what do we do? But as we'll see next, it was not true repentance. The Levites' gruesome response plunges Israel into a civil war to eradicate the evildoers. But the problem for Israel was that evil still existed in them. And so we get to chapter 20 and 21, and what is an opportunity to do right? This becomes more confusion, more compromise, more miry clay. Now, the Old Testament says that he took our feet out of the miry clay and he set us upon a rock, right? And what is that firm foundation, that rock? God is my king and his word is my standard. If you want to be on a rock and out of the miry clay, (laughs) that needs to be what we do. Now, this leaves me with two thoughts before we close that I'd like to share with you. First off, the Levite here. He's angry enough to start a war, but what was he angry at? Their sin? I don't think so. Because if that's the case, he'd have never given his wife to them. He would have gone out and met them. He would have confronted them. He is angry not because of their sin. He is angry because of his loss. And in his warped sense of justice, he demands action be taken. Now, James, James was a spitfire. He was known as James the camel need. He's the brother of the Lord. He was nasty to Jesus during Jesus' life. But when Jesus rose from the dead, James was converted. And James became the first senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem. James was a man nobody messed with. When the Jewish zealots wanted to persecute him, even those who weren't followers in Jesus said, that's the most godly man we know. Don't mess with that guy. That's why they call him James the camel need because they said he spent so much time in prayer that his knees were calloused. You ever seen a camel's knees? When we go to Israel, we usually take a camel ride and the camel ride is interesting because they're not exactly glorious creatures. I remember getting up on one and I thought, I was worried about terrorists. I think I'm going to die on this camel because this thing looked like it was about to collapse. And they're not attractive creatures, you know? And the way they, they sit, there's no padding. They're just right there on bones. And it looks like it. It looks like someone's been hammering on their knees for about 30 years. That's what James looked like because he spent so much time in prayer on his knees. James, a fiery guy, no compromise man. This is what he says to us about true religion, about real, real walk in God. He says in James 1.19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to listen, 
slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because why? Because man's wrath does not produce God's righteousness. Never will. Never will. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. How, how do I be angry and not sin? It means that anger can't come from inside of me. It has to be righteous anger. And if it's righteous anger, it has to come from him. So that's why we are told to be slow to wrath. Because my natural reaction is not based upon, that's wicked, that's evil, that's wrong. It's based upon something that I detest or something that I've lost. James says in another passage, he goes, why angry? Why are you so upset all the time? It's because you want something and you can't get it. That's our anger. That's this Levite's anger. So what do we need to do? How do we do this? He says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness. And all, I love King James, this superfluity of naughtiness. Where are you going to hear that? Never going to hear that anywhere else. It means the overflow of sewage that comes out of our heart. That's what that means. The stuff that gushes out of our heart. Like Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of the man because out of the heart proceeds adulteries, fornications, murder, all these various things, hatred. You need to get rid of that first. You want to act rightly. You want to do the right thing in a situation that's wrong. You got to get rid of that first. And then receive with humility, with meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers. Don't just hear it. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like unto a man that sees his natural face in a glass, a mirror. He looks at himself, but then he just walks away and doesn't do anything about what he sees, forgetting what manner of man he was. In contrast, whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty, I've been set free. I don't have to just stay the way I am. I can look in the mirror and I can go, that's ugly. And instead of going, no, I don't want to mess with it. I can know that I'm loved. I can know I'm forgiven. And I can see the sewage that's in my heart and go, God, take it away. Change me. And he will. Whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and he continues there where the Lord can set him free. He being not a forgetful here that these things that God tells us in his word, they're to set us free. They're not to shackle us. If you do that, nothing will ever change. That's a lie. That's the only way to bring about real change. And I'll take that over your pseudo change. He shall be blessed in his deed. So if any of you among you seem to be religious, you think you're spiritual, but you can't bridle your own tongue, let alone your behavior, you're deceiving your own heart. And your religion, it's vain. It's a waste of time. Because pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself from spotted from the world. Both. There's action that has to be taken. But we have to remain unspotted from the world now we do it. And that's where we struggle, isn't it? We struggle. Either we decide, I'm going to take action. And then we get spotted with the world, Right? Or we go, I'm not going to be in spot of the world, so I'm doing nothing. And then we're not 
We're not Jesus. We have to do both. This Levite needed true religion to keep himself unspotted from the world, to receive God's word with humility and live it out. So what about you? Are you more like the Levite or are you more like the person James commands us to be? Whichever it is, let's be those who decide to be more like the person that James commands us to be. Amen? Lord, I'm a dad and I need this. Uh, and Lord, I realize that starts with me. If I'm not always going to know what being treated with dignity and respect is, it means I have to treat her that way. So Lord, help me to do that with my daughter. Help us as men, as dads here to do that with our daughters, to treat them with dignity, respect, Lord, to treat them like image bearers. And Lord, for all of us, help us to treat our neighbors that way, to see people around us, even people who see things differently than we do, to see them as image bearers, those with dignity and respect because you made them, you love them, and you died for them. That gives them way more worth than I could ever ascribe to them or take away from them because I like or don't like what they do. Lord, help us to be those who love our neighbor as ourselves, to be those who will have true religion, Lord, and will minister to those who are afflicted, but also keep ourselves unspotted from the world, that we can be true lights, a difference in our world that needs you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.